Welcome to the MHI Cast, the show where we talk to the industry's best minds to uncover their supply chain stories. We explore real-world case studies and get unique perspectives on key trends and emerging technologies from every corner of the material handling, logistics, and supply chain space. When you think of modern distribution centers, you know, you'll likely picture a conveyor and sortation system. And while they're truly fascinating on the surface, what lies underneath is definitely equally impressive, which is why today we're speaking to some of the members of MHI's conveyor and sortation systems industry group about what's under the hood, so to speak. So first and foremost, before we get too deep into our topic, I'd love to welcome our guests. Uh, why don't we start with some quick introductions for our listeners? Matt Clark from Merrill Electronics, Key Account Manager for Logistics Customers. So naturally, how I fit in in everyday life with the logistics and warehousing is by the integrators and customers, I call them, that are directly building equipment for that application. My name is Dave Robinson. I'm the Senior Controls Project Lead for Vanderland, which basically means I uh, run the controls operations for multiple projects within our parcel organization for customers like FedEx Ground, UPS, DHL, and anybody else we end up working with. And I've been working in this part of the industry for about 16 years. Prior to that, I did a few years in airport baggage handling and a little over 20 in robotics and automation for the automotive industry. So I've been doing controls-related stuff for a long time. My name is Doug Schuhart. I am the material handling and intralogistics industry manager for Beckoff Automation. I've been with Beckoff for about 15 years. And so my background really comes from the automation side of the business into the conveyor and sortation side of the business. So automation first from my background. And I actually will hand a lot of the experience that I've gained in material handling, conveyors, and sortation to some of the great uh, customers and partners that I've worked so closely with in the industry on their automation needs. And that's what really led me into the industry role for Beckoff uh, and getting even more closely aligned with a lot of the big end users in the space, as well as many other material handling equipment providers. Now, gentlemen, I, I will admit before I started doing you know research for this podcast, my only frame of reference for architecture was building design. So for those like me in the audience, can you please explain what it means in the context of conveyor and sortation systems? Matt, how about we start with you? I think there's some parallels to building architecture. Maybe I can put it in a different way, just like the brain and heart and the human body are connected mm -hmm. to your fingers and other extremities via nerves, um, blood vessels, that type of thing. The design of an electrical wiring system between the PLC, which would be the brain, the controller, and the sensors, which you could call the fingers and toes, that can be intentional and well thought out to solve specific issues in regards to installation and maintenance. That could be shipping breaks, labor rates, ease of access to something, maintainability for lower operating costs, that type of thing. So when we're speaking about architecture, we're speaking about how we go about getting all those fingers and toes back to the heart of the machine while incorporating some type of key features or functions along the way. Okay, so PLC, that's a programmable logic controller. So it's essentially a computer that controls everything. 
I like that explanation. The PLC is the brain. That makes a lot of sense to me. Is there something I'm missing or anything else that anyone would like to chime in with? Yeah, Doug, go ahead, please. Well, and really when I'm talking about architecture in this case, we're talking about it more specific to the control system for the conveyor or sortation system. And specifically when we talk about the architecture of the system, we're talking about the the choice for the field bus or field buses of the control system, the controller itself the control software and the functions of the control software, its ability to connect up to the enterprise, the WMS, as well as to the cloud via a lot of different open protocols. More specifically in the software, we're talking about its capabilities to control all different aspects of the conveyor or sortation equipment or even other types of equipment in a warehouse or distribution center all in one control package so that we can centralize that. So it's really, oh, and then it would, of course, would be the different IOs, whether it's IOs that are connected to the machine controller, whether they're connected out around the machine drive technology that's connected perhaps in a cabinet or out around the machine All of that collectively and how you design that control system for the machine would be the architecture, the control architecture that we're talking about. Guys, this is a great conversation. And for anyone who may be wondering, the IO stands for input output, and it's how the hardware communicates with the controls. What about when we're talking about architecture being centralized or decentralized? Dave, if I could toss to you, could you tell us essentially what each of those means? Centralized is where all your major control components are located in a central location, hence the word centralized. That can be in cabinets primarily. There can be more than one, but all of your major controls componentry is inside those cabinets and everything is wired back to them using just an old, the old pipe and wire, hardwire type interface with no networking involved. And then decentralized is typically networked, where your devices are mounted out on the equipment and they communicate back to a central PLC over a network, be that primarily nowadays, be that it's, it's an Ethernet network. In, back in the bad old days, it was uh, could have been device net, it could have been control net, could have been Aussie bus, it could have been a lot of things, but primarily now it is an Ethernet-based network that ties control components back to the main PLC over networking as opposed to a lot of pipe and wire. Thanks for sharing that, Dave. Matt, do you have another way of explaining the difference for our listeners? If we keep with the uh, anatomy analogy from before, centralized is where the brain would be in the center of the system or the middle of the system with everything around it running back to it from where it exists in the system. Typically, in electrical insulation, this involves pipe and wire or conduit of some type and wire. Junction boxes, large, large components with very manual process. In a decentralized system, the brain wouldn't need to exist in the center of the system. It could be somewhere else in the system, and it's also not necessary to have everything run back directly to it. There could be many different paths and many different ways how the signals return over various things, field bus, local wiring. It's quite a bit more flexible in the approach of how you install it, lay it out, maintain it. The systems are both going to perform the same functions, but they won't resemble anything from each other 
from a component perspective. I would suppose the biggest difference is likely going to be seen during building and commissioning phase. That is a bang on explanation. Doug, I know that controls are your specialty. So anything that you could add to the explanation of what centralized and decentralized systems are? Kind of a little bit more complicated than that because we use centralized control or decentralized control systems almost synonymously with two different concepts. And so I really want to explain them both. And as we talk in this podcast about them, we'll talk about benefits and disadvantages to each. And it's interesting because a centralized control approach as it relates to uh, the machine control is a benefit. Decentralized, when we talk about distributed IOs and drives out closer to sensors and motors, is a benefit. The opposite of each (laughs) is a disadvantage. So let's talk about what each of those means. So a centralized control system would be a control system where instead of taking the PLC code and distributing that out through multiple PLCs to control a a system, a large sortation system or automated storage and retrieval or whatever type of system that you have, instead of distributing that into multiple PLCs, you would centralize all those functions into a single machine controller, whether that be an industrial PC for PC-based control or a PLC, although modern PLCs really are PC-based controllers in almost every sense of the word. They're not run on firmware any longer. It's mostly just companies' interpretation of a PLC versus a PC-based controller. However, true PC-based controllers typically do have extended functionality, more memory, may be able to take this centralized control approach to a higher level because they can also take these different functions of the machine and separate it into separate cores of a multi-core processor, for instance. So again, looking at this from a centralized control approach, and we look at sortation equipment or conveyors today, you might have a, a vision system on the sortation system. You might have a robot that's doing induction onto a sortation system. And then, of course, you have the material handling PLC. In a centralized control system, all those functions can be controlled in one machine controller instead of three separate machine controllers or three separate PLCs or PCs. If we talk about decentralizing the IOs and drives or distributed control system, that would be taking all of those or most of those devices from the central control panel and distributing those out close to the sensors and motors on the conveyor, sorter, or uh, whatever type of machine that it is. So, and doing that via some type of field bus, and that's providing you the ability to connect all those devices very closely by the actual sensor or motors out in the field, reduce your control cabinet, and be able to get a lot more data back on the system. So those are the two approaches. Okay, so here's a question. What about the advantages and disadvantages of each type of system? Matt, if we could start with you. Let's talk about the advantages first, and then uh, I'll hit on some of the disadvantages. So typically in a centralized system, 
in our market in the U.S., it's going to be the most widely accepted installation because it's kind of how we've done things for as long as we've done things, right? It's the incumbent. It usually has the lowest raw material costs in terms of products or parts involved. And in most instances, it's the entry point from a technology standpoint for the components. From a decentralized system, the largest advantage is typically its modular approach. It's the most assembly friendly. It'll typically be the most productive and cost-effective way from a labor standpoint to install a system. If we step into kind of the disadvantage of each, I can get to that now. So centralized systems come with high installation costs, typically a high risk of wiring errors, a large installation footprint, and they're difficult to separate for transportation, like shipping breaks. Sometimes they include increased maintenance costs as well, if it's depending on where something happens in the system. So for a decentralized system, typically you'll see on the front end higher material costs. That's going to be pretty obvious the smaller the system is. They'll also require a little bit higher level of integration on the design side, so on the front end, on the control side. And what are some ideal use cases? Are there circumstances that are better suited to one type of architecture? Well, they each have their own areas where they're better suited. One of the keys in for me with a decentralized system has always been, what is my I.O. density? How many I.O. points do I have in a small area in order to terminate and to get these to a decentralized type of architecture where I can network a bunch of stuff back? If I'm just scattering little single I.O. points here and there, it kind of loses its luster in my mind because I'm not getting as much of a benefit out of it as I should have. From a maintenance standpoint, it depends upon who you talk to, but a lot of maintenance people like the centralized architecture because they have to just go to one place to really see if everything, what's working and what's not working. Whereas with a decentralized architecture, they have to go actually out to the equipment and go to different locations, depending upon where their prop their problem is. But as I said, it has its pluses and minuses for either one. From an engineering standpoint, the decentralized, you tend to have to do a little bit more upfront engineering, whereas with a centralized, it's all crammed into one spot. So they have some pluses and minuses, but it, it really depends upon the application. Doug, would you care to weigh in on what you think you know the best setup would be? Well, by and large, the best approach would be a single machine controller with all functions centralized in it with a distributed or decentralizing of the IO devices and the drives. Almost every type of industry, every type of machine benefits from this type of control approach. Now, granted, there are some types of modular machines that might benefit from having some distributed control approach. There's almost no benefit I can think of to doing a discrete wired system anymore. So that I'd really take off the table altogether. But when we talk about distributing to multiple PLCs, perhaps there's a few modular types of systems where there's some benefit that could be argued. However, I will say this is an area where certain features of field buses can come into play. For example, EtherCAT has what is called a hot connect capability. And in this, you can have hot connect groups that allow you to have a modularized type of system without distributing the actual control into separate PLCs. And so you can really still take advantage of the best approach, which is 
centralized control with distributed IOs and drives, as opposed to adding more PLCs on the system. Thanks, Doug. Hey, before we draw to a close, one last question before we go. What should people consider when they're looking at, you know, what type of architecture they're going to need to have in their facility? Matt, you first, please. I think really it starts with, do you think there's efficiencies you can gain in uh, reaching out to someone that can help you navigate that journey? Doing a voice of the customer and kind of finding out what those pain points are, that usually is a good indicator of things that you could change in the system and benefit from. Dave, what would you add? Uh, what, what do you think people should consider when deciding on you know, centralized or uh, a decentralized system? First of all, it is I.O. density. You have to take a look at how many I.O. points do you have in each location that you're thinking you're looking at? And then you also have to look at, okay, if I'm going to go to a decentralized architecture, what componentry do I want to use in order to facilitate this and make it easier? We have done in the past decentralized systems using certain manufacturers, remote VFD products that are much better suited than other manufacturers are. So that's something you have to put into consideration. If you want to go to decentralized, what parts do you want to use? Because to be very honest, some manufacturers are much better at providing the support for a decentralized system than others are. I don't know if it's because of the emphasis that different companies put on it, but you know some manufacturers are more suited for a decentralized architecture than others. So you have to think about that. You have to think about the density, like I said previously. If I'm only talking two or three I.O. points in certain areas, I'm starting to lose the benefit of the, the centralized architecture. Again, that's just purely my opinion. Um, other people will disagree with me, but I just kind of see it that way, that the more I.O. you have, the more beneficial a decentralized architecture is. And thirdly, I mean, what level of... What's the level of your maintenance staff and what are they going to be able to support? Because the more you get into the networking and different things, the skills that are required of your maintenance technicians and such change as you go to more of a networked system than a hardwired system. And and you have to take that into consideration and acknowledge the fact that you're going to have to train people if they don't have that knowledge. And you're going to have to put some money into training to get the support that you're going to need from your maintenance staff, because they're the most important people in the building, because they keep your equipment running. In an automated facility, the guys that keep it running are the most important people in the building. And if they can't handle what you're trying to put in, you have to make sure that they get the tools they need and the training they need to handle what you're going to put in. Otherwise, you're defeating the purpose. Yeah, it's a great point, Dave. Thinking of potential maintenance could impact a decision. Doug, thoughts on what a business should consider when deciding on which architecture to use? A couple things that I think they really need to look for is the openness of the system, the ability to have a system that is open and flexible to extending the functions, not just when it's installed, but even down the road. So when I say that, I would include the openness of the communication protocols for communicating up to the enterprise, to the WMS 
system to the cloud. There are a lot of open standard protocols that if they're baked into the control system, it provides a lot of flexibility. I mean, you don't always know what you need in the future, so you need to make sure that your control system you're choosing today offers all of that connectivity vertically. And then also connectivity horizontally. So when you're choosing a control system for a sortation system, for instance, that sortation is going to be interfacing with other equipment in the distribution center, upstream and downstream of the sorters. And so it's important not just to choose a field bus that meets the performance and size of the sorter, but also a field bus and control system that can connect to all of the other system equipment where it's being installed. It could be in being installed in a brownfield site that has legacy equipment. Maybe there's legacy field buses like DeviceNet or Profinet in, or excuse me, not Profinet, Profibus. In those facilities, the control system has to be able to connect to those. If it's going into a greenfield site, then of course it may have to connect to more modern protocols. And so the control system should be able to connect easily to all open protocols so that you have that flexibility, both for when it's initially being installed, but also as the system might need to change and adapt and have that flexibility in the future. And then just really looking, I think, at the architecture overall is really important because if you're choosing an automation platform that you know, becomes obsolete quickly and the IOs for the local PLC are tied to that PLC family. And, you know, if the PLC becomes obsolete, then the IOs to that PLC may become obsolete and you're in a rip and replace scenario to replace or upgrade the PLC. So these things are, are important to look at the architecture and make sure that the PLC isn't so physically tied to the local IOs and that you could change that PLC, upgrade it, extend it without new control software, without replacing the IOs. So there's a lot of things to consider about the control system architecture that you really want to investigate upfront to make sure that the control system will support the equipment, not just when it's installed, but well into the future particularly with the flexibility that many of the end users are looking for. Well, I have to say that seems to be a fantastic way to end this episode. Thank you, thank you, thank you, gentlemen, for taking the time to share with the community and for joining me today. And thank you for listening to this installment of MHI Cast with Dave Robinson, Doug Schuhart, and Matt Clark. You can find out more about how to plan your ideal conveyor system on the CSS Industry Group site. Just go to mhi.org CSS, mhi.org CSS. You can also see the latest conveyor and sortation innovations at Modex that happens next March in Atlanta. Make plans to attend today and discover the latest advancements in supply chain and material handling. Visit modexshow.com to learn more. Here at MHI, we never stop exploring new opportunities to help you take your manufacturing and supply chain operations to that next level of success. So thank you for making us a part of your professional development journey. 